Friday Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. That's me. And Larry Correa. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody instead of a bum, which is what I am. Today's episode, Bad Twitter Advice, Round 7. <laughs> Welcome back to the Rider Dojo, everybody. Glad to have you back with us. Okay, we, we hope that you're enjoying your new year. Uh, but what start of a season wouldn't be complete, Larry, without getting right into bad Twitter advice? By popular demand. So, okay. I, I'm not normally tagged on a lot of Twitter stuff. Um, mainly you, you mostly avoid that cesspool. I do, I do, because it's, you know, it's a hive of, it's a den of, a hive of scum and villainy. That would be a step up. You know, I mean, you know, Moss Eisley ain't got nothing on I go onto Twitter to fight with crazy people. Yeah. Because yeah. that's I the spectator the, sport. I have the worst mutant superpower ever in that I attract psychopaths from the internet yes. to come yell at me. This is true. Except my, my I have like, you know, my super ability to just like, you know, ju- verbal judo them. Yeah. Um, See, my, my equivalent is private equity companies by whatever company I work for. It's stranger. Weird. Superpowers. But yeah, we have some, we have some good ones for you. And I was actually sending these to Steve over uh, Christmas all a, vacation. All of a sudden I get blitzed over Christmas break and, uh, and over the first week of New Year's. I'm like, what the crap? Who is just... Who is spamming me on Twitter? Oh, it's Larry. Because I'm tagging Steve as I'm finding these. And I, I believe my comment at the time was, because it was, it was Steve, Steve, new, new topics for bad Twitter advice. And I'm like, dude, it's been one day in the new year. One day. We would never take any time off for you guys. Gosh. All right. So if some of you, if you pay attention to Larry's Twitter and, and, and cursorily to mine also, you'll see... You, you saw what we were talking about, but, uh, we're going to get into this as usual. We're not going to, we're not going to give the person's name. Um, who knows? This might not even be a real person. It might be some AI bot. Uh, but at least that's what their, their profile suggests. But, uh, so we're going to, we're going to hit this one for you. Let's see. Okay. If you're, if you're driving, maybe pull over. Oh, this or, one is actually a real person. Is there, are we sure? Oh yeah, actually this is actually, and actually this person's fairly famous. That's too bad. Okay. Okay. So turn, you know, turn your, turn. Uh, I'm going to try to adjust the volume on my side, but you know, here, here, here we go. Hit it. Only a small number of book authors make significant money for book sales. This seems to suggest that most books should be freely available for download. The lost revenue for authors would be small and the benefits to society large by comparison. Okay. Now. Let me, I'll, I'll restate that in normal human English because we're, th- we're back. Yeah, you guys don't understand that this is what Twitter. That, that's what these people actually sound like in real life. You can't Obviously, okay. So this is actually from someone who's fairly famous because this guy is a professor, allegedly. Uh, no, this is an actual person, and he's now the head of, or was at one point the head at Meta of Facebook for AI, right? For AI. Yeah. Th- see, there, there's some, there's some shadiness. There's yeah. some duplicitousness in this too. Yeah, we'll get into this a little bit more because, yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so in English, only a small number of book authors make significant money from book sales. That is true. Yeah. We'll break that down. Yeah. This seems to suggest that most books should be freely available for download. Yeah, that's dumb. No, it doesn't. The lost revenue for authors would be small. And the benefits to society large by comparison. Yeah. I want to take the middle part of that first, though. Okay. Where it says that... 
the, the amount of lost revenue would be small. First of all, small in comparison to what? Well, you know, like, like small compared to, um, a gajillionaire. Yeah. Maybe small compared to a professor from NYU who works for one of the largest mega corporations in the world that profits off of the proliferation of AI and stealing free content off the internet. Well, yeah, probably that guy too. Yeah. I bet he makes quite a bit more money yeah. than most authors. But but here's what bothers me. The, you can't just look at sales and then say, well, Say, say a person, say the average author only makes two grand in sales a year. It is something pathetic like that. Okay. Who's to say though, like, like, is that $2,000 small to that person? $2,000 to most people is a chunk of change. 2,000 bucks is 2,000 bucks. Hey man, 20 bucks is 20 bucks. You're doing well. I'm doing well. Would either of us say no to two thousand dollars? No, I no. mean I make good money, but if somebody said, "Hey, Larry, we'll give you two thousand bucks for this," you know, short story, I'd be like, "Hell yeah, uh, yeah, I'll take it." Like, there, there's, there's a sense of there's this hyper level of snootiness there. Oh yeah, that's like, it's like, well, it's only like two thousand dollars. That's that's not that's not enough money for you. What's your money worth compared to societal good? Yeah. See, that's okay. bull crap. Anytime anybody plays that societal good argument, they're robbing you. Yes. Because they're part of society and you're the guy footing the bill for their good time. Mm-hmm. So right out the gate, we know this guy is profoundly dishonest. All right. Then the other thing too is, guys, we've gone over the show how much money authors make. We've gone over the stats of it. And it's the bell curve. Okay. And the people over on the right end of the bell curve are people who make most of the money and sell most of the books. Here's the kicker, though. Most of us didn't start on the right side of the bell curve. Yeah, no. So if I had taken my first couple books and I had just published them for free for the greater good of society, would I have a career now? No. I make a really good living. I, 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 I bought a nice house. I live in the mountains. I have a good career off of my labor that I've done. And I've made residuals or uh, I've made royalty payments on that first book for the last 15 years. Well, why does this person think that he's entitled to your blood, sweat and tears? Yeah, exactly. So if you put hundreds of hours of labor into a book to create it, that's your labor. Mm -hmm. The only time you guys should ever give a book away for free is if there is a direct planned marketing reason for it. Yep. This whole right for exposure thing, guys, we've no. talked about on the show, it's bull crap. It's people trying to take advantage of you. Yep. Your, your entertainment product is a product that you sell to people and you profit from and they enjoy it and then they come back and they give you more. If I'm going to give a book away for free, which like Monster Hunter International, there is a free version out there on the internet people can download yep. because there's a dozen other books in that series that people can purchase. So it's a win-win. So guys, don't give, okay, it's, it you know, it's like you don't, uh, how is that saying? Uh, you don't buy the cow if you get the milk for free. Yeah. Okay. You got to put a ring on it. <laughs> this is, this guy wants free milk. Okay. Screw him. That's bull crap. This socialistic nonsense, bull crap. And, and, and you know, his whole thing about the greater good of society is because this guy's company is out there freaking robbing people. Yeah. And, and, and my books are, are among those that have been robbed from to program our future evil alien, uh, AI overlords. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, yep, you're helping Skynet directly now. Yeah, I'm helping Skynet directly, and I ain't getting paid for it. No. Here's my kicker on that: is like if 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 you're gonna have me program evil monster AIs, pay me for it. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm, I'm happy to do so for I money. Mean, I'm not objectively, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we're getting moral flexibility here, but not. I mean, I'm, I'm not being serious, but you guys get what I'm saying here, right? So it's really easy for someone else to come along and volunteer other people's labor for his benefit. I, this is the crux of the whole, the crux of the entitlement argument that I have with everything. And it's the idea that other people think they're entitled to my work product yeah. for nothing. For the good of society. Yeah. Well, well, the good of society is these days, especially are shifting goalposts. So, oh, it's whatever the people in charge say the good of society is today. Any, and it'll be right tomorrow. So I'm, I'm kind of like, like the, this whole argument, this this whole post is just pure idiocy. Yeah, and and the guy doubled. I actually read through all of it, and the guy doubled down and clarified, and it just got worse. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could read twenty tweets in that bad write writing advice voice, but I'd probably lose. I'd lose my voice yeah. if I did it. Yeah. Yeah, we don't want that yet. But the thing is, guys. Like let's talk, so let's talk for a second about the actual making money here. Yep. Like and we've talked, we've had whole episodes about this. When you start out, you're not making much money until you build up a fan base that is consistently buying your products. And so, guys, your first couple of years, you might only make two thousand bucks, or five thousand bucks, or zero bucks, or fifteen bucks. It all depends entirely upon how many people buy your stuff. Well, and and again, some of this goes to one of our earliest episodes which is hobby versus business. Yep. Some people, you know, writing a story, publishing a book, whatever, um, simply to do so because they love writing and that's what they want to do as a hobby. Well, they're not in it for the money. Yeah. So, no. so, but again, but why should they give it to you for free? And now let's flip this around on, on, a, on a second for this, because there is an aspect, and th- this is one of the guys' clarifications. Oh, good, good, good. Was that, well, this is, you know, to benefit the author, because if they just want to get their stuff out there. <laughs> well, here's a kicker. This guy's got two textbooks he's written, and they're for sale at $22 each on Amazon. Yeah. He ain't giving his stuff away for free. Right. So if you are just writing to write because it's your hobby and you're passionate about it, and you just want to throw it out there, that's great. You know, more power to you. I'm not going to tell you to, to do otherwise. I think that's awesome. If you, hey, I've written a lot of free stuff on the internet just for kicks. And and later on, I made money off it when I turned it into actual books. Yep. I mean, you wrote online stuff too. That's how I you sure learned did. to write. Yep. Nothing wrong with that, guys. That said, when you give something away for free, the value of it to the customer or to the audience is free. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the problems with free books is people think, well, it's free. It's worth zero. It's worth zero. It's, it's worth exactly what you paid for it. Exactly. Um, so that's one reason I like free samples for something that there is more of. Sure. You know, it's like when yeah. you go to, when you go to Costco, they don't give you the whole box of fish sticks. No. Oh, fish sticks. They give you. You're right. They give you yeah. a piece of fish stick. Yeah. Like, wow. That's a good fish stick. Yeah. And then you buy the box. Sure. <laughs> well, okay. You, you know, we, I mean, Steve's not a fish guy. No, I do not like fish. <laughs> um, so, so back in, I think this was late November, early December. Um, residue was on one of those book bub featured deals for 99, for 99 cents. Yeah. How, how did that go for you? Well, pretty well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But the whole point of that, it wasn't to 
make money at 99 cents. It was to direct people to the sequel that was like eight ninety nine. Yeah. So like a book thing's actually pretty ingenious because they got this giant mega huge mailing list and they're doing special discounted books. And, and if you're smart, it's connected to all these other things that people will get this book for 99 cents and well, like it. Well, it needs to be. It, th- that's the whole point. You're not doing this for, to make money off that book or whatever. You're, the whole point of it is to get people in at the ground floor for as cheap as possible because there's so much more building above it. Yep. And they say, wow, this Steve Diamond guy, he's a good writer. I yeah. like Steve Diamond. If I see Steve Diamond books, I'm going to check them out. Yeah. That's and what and this year there happened to be, or what last year there happened to be four of those. So, you know, they'll see residue and they're like, oh, well, that's cool. Oh, Parasite. Well, that's a sequel. I'll get that. What else is your in? Well, there's these two Alicia Yoder books. Oh, yep. that's cool. Oh, there's this book with Larry Correa. That's cool. Now, if you throw out though, and this guy's like, just make your stuff for free. How many indie books are coming out every month now? A gajillions. A hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. At least. So quarter million. And, and this guy's like, hey, just throw it out there. Well, no one's going to see it because there's 200,000 other free books. You, you, you don't exist, guys. You are, you are a wash. You are a float in a giant sea of crap. Ain't nobody going to see it. So be smart. Don't listen to this guy. This guy works for a giant evil mega corporation, and he's an academic. Well, and we talked, in a, in a sense, we talked a little bit about this, too, with Rothman when we were at 20 Books. And we were talking about the whole concept of getting, um, getting onto like bestseller lists, uh, and how there was like the, the co-op of people that would get together, like 20 authors or whatever it was. Yeah. They would get together and, you know, they would sell all 20 books for a the, buck. Uh, yeah. So 99 cents, you get 20 books. Yeah. And, and of course, everybody and their dog is going to, even if they read it, even if they don't read it, they'll impulse buy it. I've had times where I've had a release at the same time, one of those, like an urban fantasy or yeah. back, back before urban fantasy was rolled into paranormal. Right. And so back in those days, I would hit number one in urban fantasy every time a book would come out. Now we're with paranormal. That's way bigger. And so they crush me. But I'd have a book coming out. One time I came out and I was only number two. And I was like, what the heck is number one? And I look and it's 20 books for 99 cents. And some of the authors were actually fairly well known. Like uh-huh. you'd heard of like, yeah. of the 20, you'd heard of like 10 of them, yeah. you know? And I was like, well, no wonder I'm losing yeah. because... It doesn't matter. You, you are not going to win against 20 books for, for a buck. Well, the sad thing is my 20, it's my $25 hardcover or my $8.99 ebook versus yeah. 20 bucks for, or 20 books for a dollar. Yeah. And so I'm at number two and I'm like, you know, I'm tempted to buy that just to, even though I'm never going to read it. I'm like, well, that's a great deal. <laughs> well, and, and the thing that Rothman pointed out, which was, which was a really good point, And that's that when you see that, that collection, you get it. In general, you know, maybe you bought it because the 17th book in there is like your favorite author. You're like, sweet. But a lot of these people, they're going to buy it. They're probably going to front load like the, the best selling author of that up front just for analytical purposes. Um, cause that's the way Amazon works. And, you know, they'll read that book. Maybe it's good. Maybe they start reading the second book. Maybe it's not quite as good. So maybe they read the third book. And maybe it's not great at all. The chances of you getting to book 20. Eh. But so think about this. This is just, this is that. This is just one listing of 20 books that's out there. 
But how many other books are coming out? Books, novellas, short stories, the churn and burn dudes and gals that are out there that are just flooding the market. Um, all that stuff just hitting and hitting and hitting. And it's like, yeah, go ahead and release your book for free and see exactly how well you do. Nothing. Nothing. But it's for the greater good. It, but, but here's the thing. But, but, but think about it this way. What happens, Larry? What if it does take off? What if it, what if your, your free book goes out there? It's free. And, and, and it sells a million dollars. Here's a simple math question for everybody. What's a million times zero? Zero. Yeah. That's how much money you got a off of that. A million people downloaded my free book and I don't have anything else to sell it because all my books are free. I listen to a college professor. Yeah. Who's, you know, not listing his stuff for free. Yeah. Don't listen to internet people. Oh, I hate these. <laughs> so again. This was day one, Larry. Oh, it gets worse. Day one in it the gets freaking worse. year. Ugh. I sent Steve like three of these. Okay. All right. Okay. We'll survive. That went right. a little long because we had to talk about some business stuff, but then yeah. we'll go. Yeah, we, we have to. One is actually kind of a piggyback on this. Um, and one we had decided to spin off into our own episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, all right. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And we'll come back and we'll get into more yuckiness. Yay! A demon out of myth has appeared in a torrent of fire and blood. Alongside his allies in the Benragash Detective Agency, Caleb Mastiff is determined to bring it down, no matter the cost. Their mission will take them from car chases with magically enhanced slavers to fist fights with terrorists atop trains ascending into the sky. From death matches with cultists in ancient ruins to bone-chilling encounters with monstrous abominations and from shonen martial arts tournaments all the way to earth-shattering cataclysmic battles. Benragash, Volume 1 of the Cocoon Chronicles by J.C. Chambers is an action-packed new fantasy about loyalty, sacrifice, and blowing stuff up set in an enormous labyrinthian steampunk world. Every copy comes with 30 full pages of manga art as a bonus and is available digitally at Amazon.com and in print at most online retailers. Pick up your copy today all right everybody welcome back okay so top half of the episode we talked about the inane opinions of a college professor who wants you to give away stuff for free to meta so that he can help you know feed his ai machine um but uh you know isn't giving away his own textbook for free now, in part of that discussion, some thoughts about copyrights and stuff like that came up. And we saw this comment that I, I couldn't I couldn't help but take a screenshot of this comment. See, see screen, I hadn't actually seen this one, but the screen, screen, screenshot of this, and I can see why. It's actually a little too long for me to read the whole thing in that Oh, it's, it's a huge one. It's a huge voice, but because, you know, they pay for the blue check, so they get to ramble even longer. That's right. I have a blue check. I can't. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. All right, and go. Copyright is a yearly fee structure instead of lifetime plus XX years. Serves both the author gets paid and the public domain for progress aspects. Okay, now it gets really complicated here, so I'm just going to like go back to my normal life. Basically saying that, that copyright, the way it works now, doesn't work, and he has a suggestion to make copyright better. Okay, so for year one, copyright's free. <laughs> And so all the hot takes, memes, and fast things just automatically under copyright and have no fee. Year one costs $100. 
and all regular publishing scores, performances, etc. Year 10 is $1,000, not an overwhelming fee if you have a franchise to back it up. But basically all manual schematics, whatnot, are all going to have people flinging up their hands and saying, fine, public domain. Year 20, $10,000. That is, I'm Disney or Tolkien. Okay, I, I can't even like wrap my brain around how pe people give these freaking hot takes. This allows a... <laughs> sorry. This allows a route for iconic things to maintain their copyright for a very long time and instead of tens of millions spent year, near yearly in lobbying, they can pay a lesser fee to perpetuate the copyright for Steamboat Willie. <sighs> Dude. Can, uh, oh, I, I can't... I, I, I hate people so bad. Okay, okay. So guys, here's a, here's a, here. This, not even about this. If there's a subject that you don't understand, like shut you, up. Like you really don't understand what's going on at all. Shut up. Just shut up. Don't don't share your stupid opinion on on the internet. Well, and because you're gonna give guys like us a heart attack. Well, and and you and I were talking about this for on, for some other stuff um, off air, and that's that there's this propensity for people who are hyper hyper smart in one aspect. The, the Neil deGrasse Tyson type Neil deGrasse guys, Tyson syndrome. Um, where they are so smart, allegedly, in one thing that that they think they're for, that that means they are the pinnacle of smartitude for everything. A lot of authors fall into this. Oh, heck yeah. Smart is not an umbrella, okay? Smart no. is not like D&D &D where you have an intelligence no, it's score. it's a dart. It's not an umbrella. Yeah, it's a dart. So it's just not like you have your intelligence is 16 or 15 or 18, and that means you know 18 on everything. <laughs> Sorry, brief tangent. We're, we're playtesting this RPG with Pat Tracy. Pat Tracy, he's doing this new this new pretty freaking rad system, system, actually. I like it. Um, we're having a blast, but we're, we're basically playing Paleolithic-ish dudes. <laughs> we're all so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're clever in our, you know, our, crocodile hunting. Our, okay, so so in D and D terms, if like you know, if you're if the if a, if a wizard is like a sixteen intelligence and a barbarian is like an eight, we're sixes. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> we we had a whole fifteen minute discussion about the world is flat in our game. We did actually, and the poor NPCs, poor Pat, we didn't know what to do because I was I'm the holy man, so I was like, I, I gave my entire theology just off the cuff. <laughs> And how the world was flat, but we discovered the hollow earth where the dinosaurs still lived. And uh, so I was explaining how that was actually like a sandwich in the middle. Yeah. And, the, and you know, yeah. <laughs> we are on the bottom of the earth. <laughs> anyway, point is, is that's about how intelligent these people are who are spouting nonsense okay. about copyright law. Guys, guys, guys. Okay, so as far as for the purposes of this podcast for our writers and whatnot... This is horrible. This is a horrible idea. Because, guys, you want to copyright your products to protect it. These people who... There's this kind of kick right now. Your, your stuff is automatically copyrighted. Yeah, when you write it, it's your product. It's your IP. Now, if you if you want to go through the process for things like logos, um, designs, um, things of that nature, by all means, do so. I, I mean, the Writer Dojo logo is copyrighted. Yeah. Okay? And it's a process you have to go through for that. Yep. Um. But guys, this 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 is this there's this movement right now to steal the intellectual property of everybody creative. And it's not just writers, but you see this everywhere. I see it all the time with cartoonists. Like cartoonists will do their cartoons and then people will take the cartoon, clip the author's or the artist's name off the bottom and then reshare it like it's theirs. Yeah. 
people are just selfish and greedy. And because of the internet, there's this attitude that like whatever you made is just mine because knowledge should be free. Because no. this stupid bull crap and it's from lazy people who just want to steal. Yeah. Okay. So quit trying to steal from people, you lazy sacks of crap. Yeah. It, this is just silly to me. I, I, I'm looking at it again. I'm just like, okay. This allows for iconic things to maintain their copyright for a very long time quotes. And instead of tens of millions spent in near, near yearly lobbying, that's not how they it can works. pay the lesser fee to perpetuate the copyright. Well, okay. For, for most people, there is no millions of dollars of lobbying for, for the vast overwhelming majority of people. There who, was no lobbying for Steamboat Willie. Yeah. I mean. Unless well, someone came and tried to steal it, then they sent a cease and desist and threatened well, to sue you into oblivion. Because it's Disney. Yeah. It's, 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 it's like we, oh my gosh. Okay. Let's, let's, let's go to the next one because this one, like there's Lord. not even really, there's no meat to the argument to even make fun of it. It just comes down to once again, people trying to steal, yeah. um, from others. Okay. So here's the next one. This one's hilarious. Okay. This one is absolutely I hilarious. Steve, so many of these. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <sighs> In okay. fact, this one is so bad that Mike Coopery, uh, my, one of my co-authors, responds as I mean, come on, guys, this has to be a troll, right? Okay. Here we go. Brace yourselves. If you think you don't have to go to college for writing and art, you should not be doing either. Okay. Guys, if you think you don't have to go to college for writing and art, you should not be doing either. Steve, what did you get your college degree in? Accounting. You, I got my degree in accounting. Yeah. Hmm. I, ironically, um, I, I actually went to college for illustration to start and then saw that there was no money in it. So I switched to, uh, so I switched to business. Okay. Let's think about this guys. Um, of the writers that we know, how many authors do we know? Like successful professional working authors with careers. How many do you know with an English degree? Very few. I know. Brandon? Brandon, maybe. I think Brandon got an English degree. Yeah. Dan? I don't think his was an English degree. I thought his was an English degree. Maybe it was. I'll have to ask him. That's the only ones I can think of. Chuck? What was Chuck's? Because he's a teacher right now. Um, Chuck might have been. I mean, we're kind of grasping the straws. So so Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Chuck Gannon. I'm actually not sure about Chuck. I'm actually not sure about two of the three of those. Yeah. I'm not either. Um, Kevin G. Anderson went back to college after he was a writer to get his MFA. Yeah, that's different. Well, he wanted to teach college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he um, has a whole MFA program that he right. teaches. Uh, okay, so dead dead serious, guys. We know between us hundreds and hundreds of writers. Yeah. The ones that got a degree, like working professionals who got a degree in English, like went to college to be a writer, uh, I would struggle to, I mean, if I went and made a list, maybe we could get enough to like count on our fingers. Some of the best artists I know, we know one of the most astounding sculptors in the world, I would say. Oh yeah. And yeah, definitely. Yeah. His degree is in like. Computer science? It's it's computer science. Yeah. Yeah. B- business computer science. Yeah. And so guys, it honestly, it has <laughs> nothing to do with it. No. The, and people ask me, it's like all the time, it's like, well, should I go to college to, to learn to write? No. No. You should go to college and get an accounting degree or a business degree. Apparently. Or go to tech school and get your IT certifications. That'll definitely pay your bills okay. faster than accounting did. Yeah, well. Oh Good yeah, my grief. daughter my daughter dropped out of college and went to tech school because it was took half the time 
a tenth of the money, and she's now making the same amount of money as all the people who went to college, only she doesn't have any debt. Doing the same programming. Good grief. On the same programs, same it's computers. Disgusting. We were we were we were we were laughing about that. It's so disgusting how far ahead she is compared to where we were at that she age. She actually had a she actually had scholarship offers. So she was very smart. So she had scholarship yeah. offers to Ivy League Boston colleges. And uh she's like, Ooh, I could go to an Ivy League school. And so she but looked then you have it to up. go to Boston. Huh? But then you gotta go to Boston. Well the college. first thing she looked and she was like it was like even after the even after the awesome scholarship was like still forty thousand bucks uh <laughs> tuition. That was after the scholarship. Damn. And then she looks at she goes, Oh, and I she's like, I can't wear I can't carry a gun in Boston, can I? He's like, nope. No. And she's like, Oh, screw that. <laughs> and so she went to college in Utah for a couple of years and then it was like, well, This is stupid. Yeah. And then she just went and dropped out and and now she's making like way more money. So it's dumb. Okay, so guys, the whole thing with college, really, guys, it's people have this weird prestige thing built up. But as far as actually like doing the job, it's got nothing to do with it. It's writing is one of those career fields that it does not translate over to a degree to education whatsoever. No. Nope. None. Zilch. Courtney. Oh, Courtney, Courtney got an English degree. Courtney has an English degree. Okay. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Now it might be I, I, on the art I, side of things. I, I, I'm not saying it's bad for you. I'm no. not saying that at all. I will actually say that. I will go the opposite direction. Okay. And okay. say, and I, I will take, I will take the devil's advocate position. I think it actually puts you backwards. Okay. Why? Because the kind of things that you're taught don't, you're being taught stuff from an academic perspective. Mm. So I would say it hurts you from a commercial writing perspective. Sure. So if you want to be a commercial writer who like writes for a living and writes books, genre fiction, even nonfiction, whatever it may be, I think it actually puts you backwards. Okay. Because this is one of those, those who can't do teach sure. kind of things. Um, most people who are teaching this stuff aren't successful writers. Yeah. I had one experience. I did teach a college creative writing class for yeah, a I continuing education yeah. thing for a university. And it was hilarious because I taught it and I taught... First thing I did is I was like, they're like, well, how much do you want to, you know, we have to set the tuition charge, whatever. And I was like, cheap as you can go. I was like, let's make it free. He's like, we can't make it free. I was A like, what's dollar. the, I was like, what's the lowest number I can make it? And they're like this. I was like, okay. I was like, I don't want to get paid. I'm just going to do this for fun and for the semester class. And they're like, well, we have to pay you. And I was like, all right, fine. Pay me the minimum. You know, I had some teachers at BYU like that. They just ended up. Um, taking the money they were paid and redonating it back to the school. Yeah, so so I so I did this. I did take the money and I actually bought a gun with it. Oh, good. I, I bought another CZ Evo with it. <laughs> That's fair. It had some bells and whistles. Pretty nice. Yeah. So so you know, on principle, uh-huh. university wanted to give me money. I'm gonna go buy a gun. So. That's my principle for everything, right? So I teach this class, and it's funny because I only taught once. Yeah. And not only that, it was like actually the biggest continuing education class I'd ever had because we had online enrollment too. So I had the classroom was full. The biggest classroom I could get was totally full. And then we had people coming in on the internet. And so I taught this thing and it was short and it was fun and I had a good time. I just did it for kicks. It's the same kind of stuff I talk about in the writer dojo. Mm -hmm. We got done and at the end of the year, you know, get the little cards where they they fill them out and they do the survey. Mm -hmm. I think the reason they never asked me back was I had by far the highest reviews ever. And all the reviews were stuff like, wow, this was so much better than the actual university creative writing class. Oh my gosh, I learned so much more. Oh yeah. That other one was crapping. And they would just go off about how bad the other real official class taught by the 
the professor, the, the professor, professor, the real professors. Yeah. But the thing is, the real professors don't write. No, they don't. They, 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 they've published in a prestigious literary journal a few times. The thing about guys, prestigious literary journals are read by six people, and that includes the editorial staff. Six people around the globe. Yeah. Um, nobody reads them. But that's prestigious. No, it's only prestigious because it's an insular little circle jerk where you get back into that academic community. Now, there are some outliers to this. There's always outliers. There's always outliers to this. Like, like uh, well, we've talked on the show before about Dave Wolverton. Rest in peace. Dave was a great guy. Dave taught BYU's creative writing class for forever. Um, and Dave came at it as a working professional author. I'm going to teach you guys business and how to actually do this and make a living at it. And then Brandon took over that class. Brandon took over. Brandon was one of his students. Now, the thing is, most college creative writing classes, if they create a writer, it's because that person would have been a writer anyway. That's probably fair. Okay. Dave's created like 400 writers. Yeah, that's probably fair. Because because see, here, here's my argument on the, that, that there is some potential good that can come out of these things. Um, but, but it has less to do with the actual class and more to do with, I guess it has more to do with the individual. Um, if, if you are, as an individual are a pretty, let's call it like a free thinker for yourselves, you're not, you don't get tied down by by rules and dogma, so to speak, um, then understanding what the, the supposed rules are within fiction in terms of structure and sentence and stuff like that. No, that basic and then, level and of then English, being yeah. able And then being able to take that and twist it to your own, you know, narrative desires, I think is valuable. Yeah. Um, especially because like, like, like Chris Rocky, did Chris get an English degree? I don't know. He he might have actually. I don't know. I'll have to ask him. But Christopher's one of those dudes. But he's weird. But okay, he he's the outlier though. He's an autodidactic genius. Christopher would go like read a library because because <laughs> on one of his episodes he was specifically talking about how he would he would go and he would study um, language and how it's put together with the express intent of understanding it so that he can use it to his benefit. Or break it to his benefit, and he the dude's a master, of and he's a freaking awesome at it. Yeah, um, he might actually have an English degree. He might, he might. Maybe I'll text him. But you know, I, I, I think, like in all things, I, I think that there are ways in which you can, um, pull good out of it to your own benefit. Now, largely though. Going and getting an English degree to be a writer to be a writer, nah. 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 Um, you'd be better off taking the money you spent on that tuition and going to Barnes and Noble. Oh yeah, and just buying a whole bunch of books and reading them all. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I always heard this. This is how I always heard it. Um, said, well, well, if if I want to be an author, what should I study in college? I think it was Stephen Erickson that told me this. Um. Said, so, okay, well, it, it, it might have even been Alistair Reynolds. I can't remember. It, 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 I might have heard it from both, Let's actually. one of those guys, I'm guessing, history or anthropology. Yep. Anthropology for fantasy. Yep. Um, physics for science fiction. Oh, man, if I was writing David Weber Space Battles, I definitely need to go back to college and take some oh, physics. <laughs> if, I'm writing, if I'm writing hard sci-fi, yeah. I dang well better have a physics degree. Yeah, having some science knowledge, definitely huge. 
if I'm, if I'm writing like fun, fun, giant mechs murdering each other in space because aliens are after yeah. him, I don't care. I don't write hard sci-fi. When I write sci-fi, I tend to write, you know. It's character-centric space opera. Yeah, it's character-centric. And so if I have hard science in the background, it's like not what the book is mm-hmm. about. And I'll just extrapolate out a technology that sounds feasible. Yeah. I'm not going to, like, like if I write a car chase right now, I don't have to tell you how the internal combustion engine works. You That's that I mean? episode of, 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 uh, Top Gear. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they're doing the car chase. Uh-huh. And, and Jeremy's like, Jeremy's like, now wait, we, in re- we, in reality, there's no feasible way in which this car could, could actually keep up with the, the BMW. So what we need to do. We have to turn off the traction control. So you hold down this button for three seconds and then it's like holding it down. There we go. So this is engaged. Now, as you see, we <laughs> the audience dies of boredom. And I actually love that episode because that is actually really illustrative. But, and, and likewise, um, you can always tell when you're watching like broadcast television or, or, or TV that's on some of these paid channels or whatever, you can always tell when they've got the sponsorship from some car company. Okay. I love Burn Notice. Yeah. Love, you were thinking, that, okay, yeah. I love Burn Notice, but there was a season where everything was the Hyundai, right? Uh-huh. And they even have a car chase. Wow, this Hyundai handles great. <laughs> yes. It's like, um, you know, it was like, well, well, uh, oh, it's a good thing. Oh, oh no, we don't have to worry about it. Because this car has a, a rear backup camera that will show us exactly where the bad guys are going to be. See, look. <laughs> oh my like, gosh, I remember that season. How inane... And ter- I mean, look, I'm glad they got the sponsorship. Which but kept Bruce the show. Campbell leaned into it too, which just made it awesome. Bruce Campbell's always awesome. He's always awesome. But my the point here is, gosh dang, like like you do not need just just have fun riding for crying out loud. Yeah, I mean, you do not you do not need to go to English, you do not need to go to to grammar school in order to understand. Like almost how to none tell of stories us, about monsters. Almost none of us make the jump from like like we get done with school and then become a writer. That now that is when we can go through counting on our fingers and literally count on one hand probably guys who got done with school and became writers. Chris. That jerk. Chris and Brandon. Yeah. I mean there are probably some other ones, but honestly, guys, there's probably a hundred Ryan to, McClellan. Oh, Brian McClellan. But we're probably talking a hundred to one. With oh yeah, with ninety nine of us being people who went out and had jobs because we had to yeah. support ourselves and our families for the years uh-huh. and the years that it took for us to figure out how to write, how to get good enough to sell our stuff, and how to find the people who are willing to buy our stuff. Yeah, and that is not a process you're going to learn in school. No, and, they're not going to teach you. And that. it's a process that's going to take time. So if you're taking that time, it helps to have a good job. Yeah. So yeah. if you're going to go to school. Make sure it's a good financial return. That's the main key. Yeah. I mean, your, your gender studies degree or underwater basket weaving degree, um, that apparently we're going to pay for now is, is, is not financially viable. Part of it too is there's, you're seeing this right now in our culture and now we don't, we don't get into current events or news very often, but you're seeing right now in, in the culture with the whole Harvard plagiarism thing. Where, where right now, like the, so the critic that brought that up, they're trying to dismiss his degree because it was only from Harvard continuing education and how that's inferior because real Harvard is- Real Harvard men have little tiny mustaches. Yeah, it's like, shut up, dudes. Uh, guys, so there is this academic prestige snoot thing in the literary community, but honestly, that crap don't matter. 
No, I mean, and, and, and we've seen so many times, well, shoot, we saw this, um, with one of the local conferences, LTUE, um, it used to be held at places like BYU and stuff like that. Um, and then at UVU, but, um, the writing departments largely frowned on it because it was largely, because it was geared towards speculative fiction. Oh yeah. That's inferior. We're inferior writers apparently because, you know. All, all 11 people that read their thesis on, you know, poetry or something like apparently that's not inferior, but you know, the dude selling millions and gajillions of books, you know, it's they're really, inferior. You know, it's really ironic as I've actually had several people who are like hardcore lit professors, uh, including some very respected ones, read Son of the Black Sword and say that it's the best work of fantasy of our generation. And just like I've had some some oh, famous authors, I know who you're talking about actually, who, yeah, who yeah, are yeah. on the opposite side of the political spectrum. Me read *Son of the Black Story* to bag on it and can't, and they read it and they're like, "Wow, this is this is superb!" And they had to shut up because they couldn't come out and say I was wrong about Larry Correa. He's yeah. not a hack pulp. He's yeah. actually capable of really good writing. They can't say that in public, and it's awesome to me that they have to choke on it. Yeah, <laughs> it's too bad. It it really is too bad. That some of those guys can't just come out and, and just be intellectually honest and say, you know what? I mean. Well, the whole thing, we're talking about this whole intellectual academic thing right now, but it's the opposite of intellectually honest. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Know? So, absolutely. So that's one of the reasons I say I'll play devil's advocate and say it's actually a net negative. Sure. Sure. I get you. Yeah. Because it. I'm not disagreeing with you. Because it, build, it builds this, it builds this insular. Like, well, only blah, blah, blah can create great art. And we see that all the time. Yeah. Only people who believe what I believe can create great art. Well, it's because you guys lie and define art to be only what you want it to be. Yeah. And then guys like me sneak in. Like, I've actually had, remember that one time, that contest, which I don't want to name anybody's names. But so there's oh, one time, there was years ago, there was the a blind contest. So there was this contest for like best short stories of the year, right? And it was very prestigious and they had a bunch of like really snooty judges and a bunch of academics and some famous authors who are totally politically opposite of me, like very respected. Mm. And, um, the Great Sea Beast. It was back when I wrote Great Sea Beast, that story. Oh, yeah. The the retelling of our L5R session. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so it was actually a short story that I wrote based on one of our role-playing game sessions with the serial numbers uh, taken off. Yeah. It it was like one of the top. That was a good one. It was one of the top received ones. And it was blind judging. So they didn't so they, they didn't know who wrote the stories. And so all these prestigious people read it. Like, wow, this this is this this is brilliant. This is oh, it was written by Larry Korea. Never mind. Uh, never mind. So, guys, <laughs> honestly, this crap doesn't matter. Yeah, I. If the the only people telling you that that the English degree or whatever is the end all be all and, and is what determines the art degree, the English degree is what determines whether or not you can create said items. The only people telling you that are the ones that never could create it in the first place. Yeah, screw them. Screw them. Screw them. All right. That's all the time we have for you today. We'll see you on the next one. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Korea. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Naibo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo.com 
by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. I have the worst mutant superpower ever in that I attract psychopaths from the internet to come yell at me.